It is the time of avaricious men lost in their lust for power, baby. Here they are. Everybody. They wave the flag and smile. Good evening to you. Good morning. We're going to catch you. Well, we pay like hell for the lies they tell. The thieves are on the loose. A couple questions just for the public here. And let's start it like this. Did you ever notice that other people aren't like you? They simply aren't like you. They don't talk, walk, think, act like you do. They just don't do it. Troubling, right? They don't do everything or even, for the most part, anything right. They don't do it like you do it. It's pretty annoying. So what do you do about it when you're with people? It could be out in the world, strangers interacting with people, and you just notice, well, they're wrong. They're doing everything wrong. They say the wrong things. They look wrong. It's just wrong. And then you're with your family, or you're with a, a group of people that are close to you otherwise, and, and you keep just noticing that they're not you. Do we ever really notice consciously how much, how often, how frequently do we notice how we view other people from a kind of critical perspective because, well, they're, they're not like us in all of these manners and mannerisms. We find too many things that are jarring to our sensitive selves. And we even will get stuck observing and thinking about what? Wow, that's how can how can he do that? How can she? How can they? And I guess this is one of those obvious things to me. When I realize it, it's obvious to me that I'm not being neutral, to say the least. Right? Billy Myers' teaching, this, the creation energy teaching, emphasizes neutrality to see things as they are without being partisan, without taking sides, without uh, overlaying likes and dislikes on things, on people and situations, seeing things as they are before we make judgments, if you will, or decisions, points of view, opinions, out of some level of discernment. And it's pretty rare. It's certainly rare to be able to do it all the time let alone most of the time, and especially noticeable when another human being or two or three or ten are around, how we get caught on. Hmm. Now, if you say, well, that's just you, I'll say, you betcha. I've noticed it you know, a lot. I'm glad at least that I notice it when I notice it, and I go, what am I, what's that about? Wait a minute. Well, of course not. He's not me. It's not wrong. She's not me. She's not wrong. But it's these... Kinds of discriminations, prejudicial observations that are done most often at an unconscious level. And though we start to see uh, through that filter, we act according to that, to whatever degree we miss what people are saying. We miss what people are about. We miss what people are about because we're busy rolling these ideas these screens and images of the way they should be, should act, should speak, should, 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 should. And then it may occur at some point that other people might be looking at us that way. Or maybe we're in the company of saints all the time and they simply never fall prey to that kind of, you know, judgmental, uh, negatively judgmental kind of, perspective and that they're actually perceiving us who we think we are who we want to be what we're intending to convey all that good stuff and do we not live in a world where this kind of unconsciousness is predominant and that unconsciousness leads us and lets us act out unthinkingly in so many circumstances, 
situations towards people. Of course, the more that that's amped, we get unreasonableness on steroids with a world that looks hmm, strangely similar to the one we're in. The antidote to most of these things, of course, we would say it would be self-awareness, a consciousness, a looking out and in at the same time. So you're observing yourself observing, you're observing yourself interacting. The the best antidote really for all of this stuff, of course, is to be found in the teaching, in the creation energy, spiritual teaching, if you will. Because there are no beliefs, there's no superimpositions of the way things should be in in that sense. We might certainly find in the teaching recommendations, advice, uh, the laws of creation, you know, that say when people do this, this is the result. And we're speaking here, let's say, of the better. We know that there's so many mistakes that people make, we human beings make all the time. And we know that mistakes are part of the evolution and growth. But we also know that the kind of mistakes that have taken hold that are spreading insidiously are of great detriment to everything that human life would, could, and should be about. Should, by virtue of, shouldn't we have love, peace, freedom, harmony, wisdom, uh, you know, forbearance, patience, empathy, some altruism, op optimism. Those are not bad things to kind of should on a bit. If that brings us back to the awareness of these things, where we can lift the mood within ourselves or for somebody else simply by coming into the, you know, being for ourselves, that helps break that stagnation, that frequency. But it's more than those words. It's more than you know what we might just casually speak here because when you take the teaching, when you take Meyer's teaching and you start reading, the tendency, because it is, or let's say, it isn't for everybody immediately engrossing, but it doesn't take long before that resonance inside, that hunger for this kind of information, for this kind of consciousness speaking to us, into us, that, that we were hungry for that. We resonate with it. And so we'll read tons sometimes, paragraph after paragraph after page after page. And it comes back to something that Atlant uh, had said, Atlant Bieri, a stepson of Billy's, about how to read the teaching. Wrote this years ago, a very bright fellow. And he said, in effect, and I, I don't have it in front of me, and I haven't read the book for a long time, the booklet. You have to just take things, sometimes even a word or two at a time, a sentence, stop, contemplate it, reread it. One of the ways we know that's true is if we are the kind of people who've gotten hungry for this material and devoured page after page, let's say we come back to that book. Open it up, same place we've been at one point. Oh my gosh, this is so new. I never saw that before. And of course we have, but of course we we consumed it. This is the time of great consumption, overconsumption, and exploitation of things. We exploit and overconsume, but we don't retain, we don't contemplate as a demonstrable effect of this rule, the world shows. This isn't a world of contemplative people pausing and thinking and smelling proverbial roses. It's the rush. It's the relentless techno-toy online keyboard digital life and the hunger for more new exciting. So bring that for a moment to the UFO topic. And what we realize, again, is that it's a mess. It's a complete, total mess. Not accidentally has it gone this way. By design, yes, to a large degree, so the truth would be obscured. It draws out and attracts, if you spend any time on social media where these things are discussed, the least knowledgeable, the least capable of people, the least experienced, the least accomplished, and the ones with the most let's say, sense of 
they know something. There's a funny thing where when I read things about, you know, all this UFO stuff, you know, things flare up and then they just sputter down. There was a David Grush, whatever happened to him? He was flaring up like crazy. What about this one and that one? Well, when you read the commentaries of the self-appointed UFO researchers, investigators, UAP, this, that, and the other thing, they very often talk with that. Is it called the royal we? We're getting some information now. What are we? As if all these people have any connection, truly, to that which they idolize, the so-called experts, the government, uh, you know, agenda, the way it's pumped out, a lot of people latch on to that, or they latch on to this figure or that figure, who's the next trial balloon for distracting the masses. I, I, very often, you know, I go and I'd say something and call people out, and now it's kind of like, well, it's what it is. It's going to be that way, because people are not capable of thinking, by and large. And even those of us that think, why well, I, I can think, I, I'm a th yeah, well, we got a long way to go. We really do. And it's great to realize that. Reading the teaching, reading Meyer's books, just takes you to a place of going, wow, I don't know anything. And it's great because I can recognize it. I may not know anything, but I can recognize truth. Somehow that is there's resonance here. And I can think and reason that. So I'm not maybe as far in the hole as I thought I'm not. It's certainly, you know, at a stellar level that I'd like to think myself to be at. But I can tell, I, I'm, I'm getting this. Wow. And when I look around and I see other people who are involved and all, now I'm not looking at people as to what's wrong with them. Whether the people who are studying the teaching or not, when I'm grasping, what this is about, that the, at the tiny level that we are capable right now of understanding, we put aside, we let go of those false judgments, those opinions, the overlay of attitude and arrogance and all this stuff, because we're, wow, we're, we're, you know, Billy writes it to be of equal value. He says all human beings are essentially of equal value, not of necessarily equal talent ability accomplishment wealth position uh you know acceptable looks what whatever no just of equal value intrinsically because those other things are not the human being they're not the important things about us we can attend to things so that we can be presentable and you know well behaved whatever you want to call it but we can't confuse certain things with essential, deep and essential qualities, really nice, deep, essential qualities. That uh, that cannot be such a bad thing to, you know, to realize that we are coming to a place where, you know, when we crack open the books, we start to read the teaching and we settle down somewhere and we go, oh, why haven't I been doing this all day? Why haven't I been doing this all night? You know, what am I spending my time on, my distractions? And yet, if you get into a pattern, and I'm familiar with it, of wanting to work all the time, and you can burn out, and you just get like that. So sometimes then it's like, oh, okay, I think I'll watch something that isn't necessarily that demanding of real attention, of thinking, something I can laugh at, maybe, or just enjoy, because you can't also be the one-dimensional person that's only consuming and not really nourishing yourself fully on that food because you're taking too much and you don't really get the essence then. So just some stuff I was kind of thinking about. So we have a guest tonight we're going to get to shortly. I want to just, there were a couple things that I made notes of for myself. And I did this one. I part of the way I advertise tonight's show, the cleansing. It isn't what you think, but maybe it is. So by that, you know, I was talking to myself the other day, saying, "How are you doing?" Mind if I call you? Like, no, it's fine. So I'm thinking the cleansing. 
you know, we talk about, you hear this thing about the Great Reset and, you know, the coming global financial crisis, oh, these things, the way society and the world is being moved, these things that are coming, some inevitably, some mislabeled, perhaps, the cleansing. But what is the cleansing? I never, well, let's face it, nobody here is ever seeing anything in the news these days about the cleansing is coming. Well, it's tied into what we were just talking about, in my opinion. It means that we, those people who are striving to become more conscious, to learn to contribute to do these things, we are cleansing ourselves slowly but surely, step by step, of all those things that are false, that dominate in our life that we've taken on, that we've held and acted out unconsciously, even if we're watching ourselves going, geez, why could I do that? That's really silly. Instead of blaming it on somebody else, like, look how silly they are. So this cleansing really comes back to what we were just talking about, really. The, the teaching, the it is a balm, B-A-L-M, for the beingness it is also truly like a waterfall that comes through us and starts to wash away and make room for that which is fresh and healthy and vital. That which is the creation itself, that energy that is in and of everything and everything is in and of it, that essential life energy, the wisdom, the incomparable nature of the creation of life. What do we do when we think about it? We're enriching ourselves. So if we're reading, if we're getting the, the well-formed teaching brought forward and or in some cases authored by Billy Meyer, we are refreshing, we are cleansing ourselves. It's not that other stuff. It isn't what you think, but it is what you think. It's what you learn to do when you're learning to really think. So that cleansing is not that stuff of the world. It's the getting rid of it and doing so not in a harsh and violent and compulsive way, but with the nurturance and the patience. Just imagine what this man went through to write all these things in one lifetime, 60 plus books. And these are not frivolous throwaways by any stretch of the imagination. So there are some rather miraculous things that go on in life. And then as we allow ourselves to be gradually and sometimes a little suddenly cleansed of that which no longer is working, nourishing ourselves, is not flowing through us, out of us as nourishment for others, we create, we bring in, we assimilate, we contemplate, and we then don't run around lecturing everybody. We do what Billy Meyer does, among other people. Many people do this, but he said, teach by example. Don't go out there and try and tell everybody. Sure, those of us that, let's say, have um, shows and platforms and all dedicated to bringing this material forward. Well, we do it, but we're not doing it ohne Zwan, I think it says in German, without compulsion. We're not you must do this, must. In a recent contact, Billy was speaking about how must has to go. There are shoulds, shall, will, but must gets so abused, so abused, and it brings with it so many things, guilt and blame and what have you. Now, you could say there are times when that's an appropriate word. Fine. We're looking to ventilate all this stuff, right? So we're looking to embody to recognize that we all are of equal value. And in that sense, we're flawed. We can make mistakes. We have a commonality with all other people. And that's just a reflection on some small part of all of this. So that being said, one of the last topics to talk about here before we introduce a friend Um you know, Meyer's prophetic accuracy on Israel and Hamas and the Middle East is pretty staggering. In the blog today, uh, you know, I posted something that was 
pointed out, I think Eddie Martin pointed it out, about how Billy, you know, the, the play Aaron and Meyer had discussed as early as 2006, I think it was, that, uh, you know, there would be assassinations of Hamas leadership and other people by Israel, and that this was going to, you know, open the floodgates. So what came first? Who who shot who first? I, it doesn't matter at this point. But I wanted to say something. This might offend people, but I'm going to say it because Meyer has recently written quite a bit, and, and going back a ways, not just because it's happening now, but he foretold it. He foretold that there was going to be an onslaught of anti-Semitism. Just very bad time for the Jews of the world. And I have observed over many years, there's a difference to me. This might sound, and it may be off, it might be a prejudice of mine. I found that there's a very great difference between, generically speaking, okay, Jews and Israelis. I'll tell you where this came from in my experience. I don't usually talk about it because it's going to you know, offend people, whatever. And in a way, they go, oh, you're anti-Semitic, you're this, that, and you know. Going back uh, to about 1959 or 60 in Chicago, there was a um, an expo, some kind of a trade fair convention type of a thing at Navy Pier on Lake Michigan at, and uh, the end of one of the streets. I don't know if it's Ohio or what there. And they had booths with people from all sorts of different countries with products from those countries that they were trying to bring into you know, America and all this stuff. And there was a booth of people, men and women, and they stood out for me like crazy. They were the most aggressive people I'd ever run into as a group. It just struck me, and I haven't forgotten it. I mean, I'm, we're talking about going back 60-something years here. Oh, my gosh, these people are over the top. And it was just in every manner. I thought, these are very... They're very self-assured people, but they're also, there's an intolerance and an arrogance here, gee. And that impression stuck with me. Now, I happen to have some friends who are Israelis, or not like that. Just like, you know, you know, you can say, oh, some of my best friends are you. That's what, what a lot of people who are, you know, prejudiced will say, oh, well, some of my best friends are Blacks or Jews or this or that or the other thing. But having known many people who are Jewish and, and many others, Chicago is a city with lots of different ethnicities and i i've simply seen you know there, many people ghettoize themselves the jews in chicago did it they've done it in other places so have polish people probably asian groups now are doing you know all these enclaves but <laughs> the israelis nobody had anything on them in terms of that kind of in your face thing and i over the years i've thought look sure Terrible persecution and all that. And there's deep stories about who founded Israel, what was the real agenda, and what did some of the Jews do to other Jews. All this stuff is there. But also when I become aware of people who are, like I have a friend in L.A., his name is Shlomo, I think it's Kapelnikov or something, it's a Russian name, he's an Israeli, Russian Jewish Israeli guy, and he teaches martial arts. Very creative, nice non-arrogant kind, but I don't know how else to put it. I mean, it was just like, he's very skilled, and yet he's he's got a very predominantly, I would say, softer nature than most Israelis that I've ever met, and he served in the Israeli Armed Forces. So stereotypes don't serve well, except maybe in a brief kind of a thing, if we can say, I'm stereotyping here, I'm going to talk about this. So if the people that think they are chosen by an imaginary deity floating around would get off that, you know, that might make it easier for them. I mean, this is naive to say these things. And if the other people could, you know, well, we know that these kind of things right now are pretty much pie in the sky. But I wanted to say this for the longest time because I laughed about it then and I have to laugh a little about it now, though I don't think that the way it's manifested when you see Bibi Netanyahu and all these people out there and they want to destroy people. No bones about it. They are going to destroy the Palestinians to the last person on earth, you know, the Palestinians. 
That's ugly. And there's nothing better about Hezbollah and Hamas. What can we say these days? So this is where this cleansing also has to come in, where we have to cleanse ourselves of the burden that we cannot lift. We cannot change. We can only add, Meyer calls it swinging waves. There's a positivity, a neutral positivity. And that therein, it is for all people. And then we're not making those distinctions. We can be honest enough to say when we see somebody, oh, this looks this way or that way. And we go, okay, there I'm doing that again. They're, they're not me. Anyway, <laughs> I've probably beaten that one a bit. But I, I hope you grasp you know, the intention there. And feel free if you want to call in or let us know what you're thinking. So we have a guest tonight, a friend of mine, for a number of years. And I've wanted to have him, you know, come on and talk a bit about himself on the show and all of that. Um, and so I'm going to introduce him. His name is Leon Rubenhold. And with that, I hope we're going to have a split screen here momentarily where Leon is going to appear as if by magic. <clears throat> Leon, am you there? Hello. Uh-oh. I am there. Start my video. Ah, you are there. Yes, speak. Speak to us. Speak. Ah. <laughs> oh, that, anyways. Well, say that again? How would I follow that? You say speak. Well, you followed it very well. You have two speakers behind you. Oh, you're, you're dead. Or four. I'm sorry. <laughs> At least. Probably more that I don't see right there. Oh, my gosh. Yes, of course. So, yeah, you, well, I think you're following that pretty good. Um, please, let's, let's know a little bit about you. Let's just start with who are you? What's your background? Throw in some background, let people know who you are, and then we'll do something. Well, let's see. I've been a musician for the majority of my life. I started playing guitars and harmonica about 12, 13 years old. And I've, just continued doing it and wound up touring around the world, different musicians, recording sessions, TV shows, all the things that, you know, musicians do. Nightclubs. Yeah. What were some, some groups of people? I know we're, we're kind of, you know, of that generation, but what some of the groups or, or artists that you accompanied and toured with would be like who? Oh, well, let's see. I did a lot of work in the rhythm and blues, uh, soul, world. Uh, I toured with Wilson Pickett for a number of years and Bobby Womack and uh, with David Ruffin, a little bit with Eddie James and uh, you know the list oh, yeah. goes on. I mean it's all on my website if you want to really find out. And I'm not great at name dropping. <laughs> no that's good. I, I, I resonate with what you were saying there the blues thing because I grew up in Chicago and that's like was quite a you know a wellspring of the reviving the blues bringing the blues forward and talking going back to the 50s and 60s and of course probably before but there were also people that i knew like michael bloomfield and ellen bishop and steve miller and people who were you know the new the blue-eyed soul version of blues and a lot of them were fantastic i mean michael bloomfield was an, quite an extraordinary guitarist he's quite a character quite I've been a few times over the years yeah he was a he was a funny guy. I knew him and his wife back in Chicago, but we'll, you know, I don't want to leave too many people going, who are these people talking about? Well, who's that? So um, how did we meet? You know, I think we were talking, <laughs> I was trying to figure out, hey, how did we meet exactly? When did we meet? You know, where did we meet? Um, do you? The, the story goes, <laughs> uh, my uh, girlfriend at the time uh, had a, a some event going on in Topanga Canyon and she asked me if I could bring my band in to play. And uh, it was a house up there and uh, and and unfortunately we were too loud. <laughs> and uh, But it was still fun and you were there. I don't know if you remember, but uh, and we started talking about music and, and somehow the UFO com uh, topic came up. And, yes. and shortly after that, the Myers thing came up and I said, Oh, the Myers thing. I have that first book on Genesis uh, publication. And I got that in like 81. You know, and I had, and right. the event that I met you at was in like mid 90s. So, 
So, had you been uh, at that time or, or before, how much before that time had you started to get into uh, the so-called UFO field or interested in the topic? Oh, way, way early. I've always been interested in science fiction. Uh, read a lot of science fiction books, you know, Ray Bradbury, who I actually got to meet and hang out with because his daughter was a good friend of mine. So I would go to his place, you know, her place, and Ray would show me around his basement workshop, and that was fabulous. But before that, I was, um, I just was very interested in UFOs. And the first book I ever saw was the George Adamski photographs. Uh, to me, it is a, yeah. said, now those look like real photographs to me. And I was about 12 or 13. And uh, I come to find out that over the years that those actually, those um, craft that he's taking pictures of were actually Nazi German discs. You know, the whole when he actually took pictures of craft and didn't fake it, yeah, yeah, they were possible. real pictures, and and they said they're and they you know you know the story, but yeah. they're from Venus. Actually, they were probably from Brazil. <laughs> yes. And oh so, yeah, that is George experience in Brazil. Yeah. So yeah. that's how I initially this... got into it, and you know, and just got into the you know uh, spiritual seeker as it were in all things you know uh, metaphysical and which i found to be and did the possible. la pardon do the la circuit the new age and spirituals you know oh, yeah. grocery the stores stuff. yeah the woo stuff the bodhi tree where did you where did you find yourself in that i mean what did you run into in those uh, circles so to speak um well, uh, well you know uh when I was early teens, I did. Uh, I went to a thing, and I got my mantra of my uh, you know, the, the, the transcendental meditation thing. And I'm not going to tell you my mantra because it won't work. So. Oh no! I I, I, I want to know, but I, I know I shouldn't ask, so I won't. Yeah, right. I was told never divulge your mantra. Just keep it to yourself. So. Yeah, then you'd only find out that everybody's got the same mantra. I know, right? Right. Some kind of uh, uh, word that uh, which language do they use? Or... Sanskrit, exactly. Sans a Sanskrit word. Oops, I almost said it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So did you um did you find did you ever go into those things like with uh what was Jay Z Knight and her Ramtha channeling and all that stuff. Um, oh my God! Yeah, there was one bunch of channelers that are out here. Um, um, they were purportedly channeling the uh, Ashtar command. Oh, yeah. that. Oh, and there was also uh, uh, the um, Bowen Peep. You met them? Yeah. Remember the, the the bow and peep stuff with the uh, uh, what was it? What was it called Heaven's Gate? But uh, was the other thing? Uh, was his That's name? interesting. A lot of people, if people people who know about the Meyer material know that they were mentioned that in that material that those people, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it turned out I somehow I wound up uh, uh, going to one of their meetings. And their big thing was what drew me in was he says, hey, we're going to go out to the desert and we're going to see a UFO land. Do you want to go? I went, yeah, sounds good to me. So, uh, but the thing is you had to, in order to do that, you had to get rid of all your material goods and possessions. Right. So, so they called me about 5.30 in the morning, woke me up and said, we're getting ready to go out to the desert. You coming? I said, not really. I haven't got rid of my stuff yet. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, you're lucky. What's his name? Well, you know, um, you mentioned the Ashtar Command, and that was a pretty big thing in the '80s and yes, '90s exactly. in LA, right? This guy was. Based there were two at... people. Yes. They were you know, uh, Malibu. Just, say it again. They were in the Malibu area, the South Malibu. Yes. Area. Okay, so it was. Uh, I could say their names: Michael and Aurora Allegian. Indeed. They were that's who it was. The right. Yes. 
So these are a couple of you. I mean, for anybody that has any, it hasn't turned this up because it sounds too eighties. Um, this whole thing with the Ashtar command, which was a real thing uh, that was influencing people and manipulating people. It's a whole. It's all spoken about in the Meyer material. Well, well, there, there were these two people, among others, uh, who thought, and maybe they were being channeled to or manipulated by. Uh, Ashtar, any of these people in that group. And I simply remember that at one point I had met them and I'm trying to think if it was in Hawaii or in LA somewhere. And we got to talking and they said, Hey, do you ever make long distance phone calls of all things for a couple of people? Oh, yeah, the phone so, game. Right. They had that uh, scam, not a scam, but some sort of. Uh alternate um phone company that they were representing yeah and i said oh, what do i do he said it only costs you so much per month and every day you can get a new code you can use the i thought wow that's really great so i signed up for that right here i am with kind of really nice it's about 80, 80 you did too okay so here's what happens making all these calls to people that you know my family the whole thing and one day the phone rings and I said, hi. And the guy says, is this Michael Horn? I said, yes, who's this? Uh, I'm Agent Carter from the Honolulu FBI. <laughs> and I went, uh, if this isn't a joke, this is interesting. I said, well, what can I do for you, Agent Carter? He said, do you know Michael and Aurora El Legion? I said, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. And I thought I knew there was something afoot. I said, you know, I'm using their great <laughs> calling card service. The calling cards, yeah. I figured it might as well come clean right off the bat. And he said, don't you know that those are stolen credit card numbers? I said, pray oh tell. God. No. I had oh, no idea. No idea I didn't. They were peddling that stuff. Unbelievable. Oh, my God. So this guy says, thank God. I'm sorry? I didn't get a call from the FBI, fortunately. You didn't? Well, we can arrange, we can arrange that. You don't feel left yeah, out. So this uh, was his name, Kim Carter. I'm trying to think. His name was Carter something. Really. And he tells me all this stuff. And I've just opened book because I figured if the FBI is calling me about something and I'm, I should just right away. This is, I told him I'm using that to call my family. Oh my God. So um, they were arrested shortly thereafter. The FBI took their computers. It was, he almost, I think Michael L. Legion almost went to jail for a long time. And I, I ran into Aurora some years ago in Sedona. So this whole New Age thing was such a wacky period of time, such a really weird thing. But, like, you know, we're talking about the UFO thing. Okay. So I think maybe I can do this. I want to share something here with people. Can I say one more Just thing about the allegiance? Of course. Uh, the thing that really soured me, as uh, Seinfeld used to say, uh, was um, – they they were they had this movie they would be screening at their place about uh, uh, aliens uh, attacking some people in a cabin in the woods. So I went to see it, and it was like it was like a, uh, the production values was so bad it was almost like a college student film. And these aliens are running around <laughs> with big plaster Paris heads on and black turtlenecks. And I said, "I'm out of here." <laughs> it was so bogus. Was it connected to them? It was from the uh, Ashtar people? Yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be an Ashtar command thing or something <laughs> of that nature, but uh, I don't know where they got it from. So you had a commanded performance there. Yes, it was. Oh, delightful. Yeah, it was hilarious. So let me see if this is oh, going to work. Thing. One more thing. I hate yeah, to go ahead. My, my memories are coming back. The Bo and Pete thing, the guy's last name was Applewhite. That's it. Marshall Applewhite. That's it. Bingo. Bing? Go. Yeah, he, yep. Bing go. Yeah, he was a uh uh oh. Don't worry, I I'm sort of still here. I'm, I'm sure oh, I'm uh, let's see. Can can you see this screen now? I can. Sound Revolution of Truth. Yeah. So what I'm gonna do here, um what have I got here? Oh I know. I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna play this excerpt for people of the film. It's it's short, 30, 40 seconds or whatever. And then they're gonna you know, maybe understand better how we have uh, connectified here. Hold on. 
I hope you can hear it when it comes on. Pretty much, I, and it, um, it's not something I rehearse exactly. I'll just lay out my bullet points and things will be on the screen when I tell the stories. Like, uh, and we've covered 142. See, that's you. That's that's Leanne right there. Where? Leanne. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. All I see is the slide. What are you referring to? The there? side? Oh, you mean you don't see the video? All I see is Uh-oh. the Silent Revolution of Truth photograph. Oh, still? Yes. Hmm. Still there. Well, it's I'm going to try to get, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try and do this one more time since we're here. I'm going to do a share screen and try to get to that specific particular peculiar screen. Okay, now let's see. Now do you see you? Oh, there I am. There you am. You just come on here. (laughs) (laughs) You had that Elvis Pompadour thing working or something. Here we go. 20,000 miles worth of hiking. Worth something like 360 different jobs. From uh, dog catcher to snake handler, private detective. Uh, For a while, he was known as the Phantom. Phantom? Yeah. He was employed by some Middle Eastern police that was you again. Here we go. Bringing in serial killers and ass murders. He had his Swiss leather jacket on with a Swiss cross and the Arab dress. Well, maybe he could find Osama. <laughs> yeah, nobody else seems to do any good. So we uh, were in Laughlin, Nevada, I believe. Yes? Laughland. Laughland, Nevada. And we were sitting in the audience. I think it was actually 2006, early 2006. Yeah, and... Um, Christian Frenner, Christian Frenner was up there and he mentioned something about a young Playaren girl who Ocarina. Uh, yeah, Ocarina Ocarina, who had won a contest on the Playaren World on Era to best exemplify what Billy's mission on Earth was. So having won that uh contest by coming up with the most succinct encapsulation of the essence oh yeah of the mission through billy she was able to come and meet with billy and and talk to him for a while and both of us when we learned that what she had come up with translates to the silent revolution of truth we thought that would be a hot idea for a song and it just so happens let me just see if i can roll this thing side of me took hold as if there's a song title if i've ever heard that's right that is exactly right. This is a recording by Piali. Oh, yeah, they changed the original arrangement around. Not a bad idea. In the world, our inner voice time is running out, and so are the choices. We can change the course of history without thoughts. We can see that no more wars are ever fought when peace is found and when it's time Audio has dropped out for me. So that uh, Piali had done some modifications, chord modifications, but basically she really did catch, you know, uh, a catch. She brought a really interesting feeling and reading to that song. And we have it on the film. Oops, what's all this about? We have on the film, in the film, Mara? Was that her name? Mara Mara or Mara? Hitner. Okay, so she sings it too. So this is where, you know, we go back to this and then we end up uh, doing the, you know, the road trip, Laughlin and all this stuff, and then incorporating the song into the show. Um. One of the things which is exactly about that, you were you remember uh, you brought him up, uh, Giorgio. What's his name? 
Souflaki or something or other. It's all Greek to me. I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> it's Greek to me too. So he's guy has an ancient alien show or something. Yeah. And de- very, very dedicated to not dealing with or mentioning the Meyer material. Uh, let's see, what do we have here? I got that from him. Oh, really? That's like the, that's that the Egyptian little, thing? Well, that's the one he found that supposedly in the Amazon, the, the planes that were his little... And he, these are oh. like the pins. I traded him uh, one of my CDs, my Down in Roswell song, for this. I said, Giorgio, i got to have that pin. And, uh, oh, my gosh. Cute, pretty cute little thing. It's a replication yep. of that uh, actual thing they had. I've seen the photos of it in it's in, in museums somewhere. Uh, yeah. But we... We've run into a lot of these uh, people in so-called ufology. Uh, Stephen Bassett, who's hounding people all the time. Uh, we like yeah, can't get rid of that. All these UFO conferences and things like that. Nowadays, these I think are probably different because everybody's simply concerned only with the phenomenon and the you know the meteoric rising and falling appearance of people who know nothing but have gained spotlight for a while. So this whole thing has been going on, point being, for some time, this whole ufology thing and some of the cast of characters has been going on. And, of course, my complaint is that they've suppressed, actively suppressed, the Meyer material to the detriment of of humankind, not happy. Yet, uh uh, they have yet to cover the Meyer case on ancient aliens. There's yet to be an on. No, they won't. What's up with these guys? This is like the only case we're talking about, and you know it's, you know, they're not going to talk about it. Embargo. On None it. of them. They, they, if they speak about it and bring it forward, represent it in the re- real way, in the true way. What's the point of doing all the rest of this? Chase your tail, chase lights in the sky, dead end, UFO, UAP, you know, phenomenon stuff. It's simply entertainment and, and distraction and a lot of disinformation. So in the For What It's Worth department, this is, you know, we kind of, you and I and some others we know, I don't haven't seen too many people lately, but we go back to, the, let's say, the time of the 80s when, some of these elements were coming in with the new age and the channeling. And then there were UFOs and everything developed. And we had, by then we had found the Meyer material, you and I both, and it would only be a constant unfolding that would take place with this magnificent stuff. So, you know, and we engaged, we did other music. I don't have it up, but we did the, um, the Ballad of Roswell. Indeed. Crash Test Dummies. Yep. Crash Test Dummies, right. That's the one with the line about uh, something just like hieroglyphics, that something invented by Egyptians. Anyway, we are using this time to reminisce because uh, we are in different places and we don't always get a chance to do that. But we do have something else in common, along with a couple other people, and that is we did belong to a union for a brief period of time, yeah, we belonged to what I think you've affectionately called Union Local Eight, and that wasn't spelled numerically; it was spelled A T E. Um, do you want to lead off a little about what that was about? Well, that was the quest for the eternal uh, art opening uh, diet. Yeah. Yeah, for, for people who don't know, you know, we we lived on that for a while. L.A., uh, at least certainly going back a few years, probably in some degree now, I don't know, don't live there. But L.A. was a mecca uh, in its own right for art galleries and art openings. But at the same them. time, they're still doing them, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. My perspective was that in almost every case these openings they would have food put out and we would along with a few other people would come whenever we found there were these openings and we would come there and graze and we would would show up quite often yes 
and we would look around. <laughs> oh, and there's so and so. And what? And we'd see them and we go, oh, hi. Uh, that's another union meeting. Right. That's it. You know, and, and um, we would say the right things about, that's a marvelous expression of the characteristics of light and dark when interplay that only the most, you know, I learned how to talk that way when I was in art school in Chicago, because it's very, pre- what's the right word? Pretentious community, for the most part, when you have an artist community, they talk, you know, talk in these kind of silly ways. But um, we, uh, along with a friend of ours, Terry, who now lives in Thailand, we created something called the GGG, or that was the Gourmet Gallery Guide, where we wrote, uh, shall we say, pretend articles, rating the food at different art openings, and talking about whether or not there was, you know, a an acceptable aesthetically as acceptable you know melange or a medley of fruits blending then characteristically into the open vegetable dip element you know all is totally totally preposterous stuff uh but it did it it gave at that time i was a bachelor you were often a bachelor i think it was a place to go to it's what on and off bachelor on and off bachelor. I don't want to go. I won't play with that one at all. So it was an opportunity to go and socialize, uh, to graze, to socialize, and to get out of the, you know, that insular thing of where we're just sitting at home playing our guitars because we don't have a life other than that. And uh, meeting nice people. There was, there were some characters among those who were very <laughs> usual. There was an old guy an older, I think he was an Italian guy. Was it was his name Giorgio too? He was this little guy. Must have been seventy something. I remember he used to wear that suit and that sweater. No, that's the other one. That's I forget his name. But Giorgio would go. He was a little, you know, gray haired old guy. He'd walk up to all the younger women at these art openings, and he would say, "Hi, I'm Brad Pitt," and he would stand there, and invariably. There must have been something endearing about that because, you know, you know, they thought he was such a charming little fellow. There was the other guy in the street. It's a pity on him, possibly. Yeah, he he was a character. I'm going to leave it at that. The other guy with the stripes sweater, he was also an Italian guy. But these were circles of people who we were really there as. I think I view it as as performers in a way. We were pretenders. We came really only to freeload. Let's be honest about it and okay. interact socially. <laughs> and, I mean, we weren't there to buy the art. The food was always better than the art, always in yeah. these openings in LA. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of thing that you know people don't have much connection to in. Contemporary circles, perhaps, uh, you know, depending on where you live and what you're, you know, uh, you, you, what kind of a social structure, social life you actually have, if you have one, you generically human beings. But these days, I and I haven't been to art galleries, so I don't know what it's like. But there's such disconnects between people in ways that hadn't yet transpired this terminal distancing and inability to deal with another human being hadn't taken full grasp and so art galleries were fun places to interact and to joke around and to you know eat dip and chips and all the rest of the stuff but uh, i don't know why when we when we were when we were doing that that was pre-cell phone times I mean, cell phones were, you know, just one yes. well, actual phone, and that was it. You know, it wasn't what it is now. So right. that whole communication thing hadn't arrived yet. So going right. to the art galleries was actually a good social, you know, uh, option. Yeah, you didn't have people like this. There was this, but you didn't have, yeah. have too much of that. Well, you have a 
a new single that you're putting out it's coming out tell oh, us about I, it i've released a few singles uh, i just, just released a, a cd uh back here it is my new c called back to the blues it's reversed obviously but uh it's available on all your download sites iTunes. Good deal. Back to the blues. This photograph on the front was a, an old blues guy sitting here in Santa Monica. I walked by and said, wow, that's a photograph. And I snagged it, got a picture of him. And about 10 years later, I used it for the CD. It's, it's good. It's the back of it. I like that. The whole what, you want to say anything about the the songs, the styles uh the, there's some there's some covers on here. There's uh, I, I did a re, revised "Light My Fire," which is pretty cool, and "Money." That's what I want. That's another cover I did, and I have some of my own uh, song on here called "Getting Old Is Getting Old." <laughs> it's very popular. They're getting some airplay on that one, and uh, you know it's got about eleven songs on it. A song called "Lost in the Shuffle," talking about getting lost in red tape of society. And uh, it Ooh. goes on. But, uh, is it a shuffle? It, it's it's part shuffle and it's part uh, New Orleans mambo. So Ooh. the chorus is lost <laughs> in the shuffle, and that's a shuffle for those who understand musical terminologies. Hmm. But it's it's out Good there for you. Put a listen to it, you'll enjoy it. Shameless. Well, point. you're out there. Yes. Good deal. Now, a quick question. Just for, I want to. So, are you still playing in clubs around LA or Santa Monica or any places? Not as much playing clubs, but I'm actually uh, I'm playing this Saturday for a friend of mine's having a, a a party, birthday party, 70th birthday party. And he asked me to put a band together for that, so we can do that for kicks. And uh, I'm just recording stuff. I've got some rec- working with an artist right now. Hence the speakers behind me is where I do a lot. Of, this is where I do most of my recording. Is my little yep. bedroom studio. It's a really good sound and. Uh, Actually, I, I cut a song there that I sometimes yeah. used. New, yeah, new wind blowing. New wind blowing. Uh, yeah, I just cut right. right here. Well, it was cut here actually. I'm going to have to revive that one now that we mention it. Dig that well, out and play it. Dig it out. A hot diggity out. Um, any UFO events that are going on that you've been to in the past few years? I mean, I'm curious. Curious because I haven't been to any, obviously. I haven't really uh, gone to any. There's not many UFO events that are out there that are, you know, that grab my attention. I mean, there's just yeah. so much stuff coming on Facebook, so much rubbish. I mean, yeah. uh, especially with the new AI, uh, you know, you can create all these UFO scenes that, you know, I love the, I love the the, pe- the people who do the AI and they're making uh, these things with Bigfoot and they're about twenty feet tall, you know, <laughs> and they're supposed to be like, taken photographs taken back in the turn of the century or something. It's, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen some of those. Those are all AI, huh? Yeah, I'm they not look, even enough. They look great, to... but you know, it's not real. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, thank you. Now I'm embarrassed. Well, I've enjoyed uh, having a visit with you. Uh, 500 miles apart here and um i hope people will pick up your your single and you know check out your music and if anybody writes to me i will forward them to you even if they're writing about other things (laughs) no i'll be happy to do that and i'm going to thank our wonderful hosts at bbs don thank you very much for hosting this tonight giving an opportunity to split screen here with my friend Leon Rubenhold, blues player extraordinaire in oh, Los one Angeles. More one more thing in the blues. Yeah, go ahead. I had a, uh, a blues band back in the 60s called the Outlaw Blues Band. And one of our songs got picked up for uh, uh, the movie Judas and the Black Messiah, a song called Deep Gully. And in, uh, the movie won an Academy Award. So I have a song in it. Recently? Movie, uh, 2021. Pretty cool. No, I did not know. You never told me that one. Yeah, so I never have a song on an Academy Award movie soundtrack. How's that? Wow. I like it. Where's your statue? Do you have the statue? Uh, they're, still, oh, they're, they're still molding it for me. <laughs> yeah, right. Molding, the operative word. 
Yes, indeed. Well, to everybody tonight, I guess we will say good night and we'll say uh, see you all next week, hopefully with another conversation, updates and news and things that may mean nothing to some people and perhaps a lot to others, I hope. So thank you, everybody. And Leon? Thank you. Live long, and <laughs> Live long and perspire, right? Yes, perspire. And, <laughs> and Don, thank you very much. And we leave everybody now is to stay safe and serene. men Until lost in their lust for power, so, baby. Here they right. come again. They wave the flag and smile to distract us from the truth. Well, we pay like hell for the lies they tell. The thieves are on the loose. Don't go along with that land of the free. That's the way we give away our liberty.